0: If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, please go ahead and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Uh, we will be looking at Revelation chapter 14 this uh, this evening. We will actually, God willing, Lord willing, we will finish this out tonight, Revelation 14. Uh, we'll finish uh, the chapter out tonight. And so tonight we're going to be, uh, we'll finish this out by looking at the two great harvests that are found in Revelation 14 verses 14 through 20. Um, And so a lot has gone before this. Um, need to keep that in mind, obviously, as we approach Revelation 14, 14 through 20. And uh, so in Revelation 14, 14 through 20, if you found that place, I'm going to ask, if you're physically able to do so, to stand as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the, of the earth, and her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Let's pray, Father. We come to a text tonight, as all the texts before it, um, to look to uh, to to you to, for wisdom and and guidance. Help us, Lord. We pray um, to rightly view this text in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. So uh, we have come to uh, we just, while we have just finished. Um, excuse me christmas it 's not been that long ago that we were actually uh, last season as a, in a matter of fact where we were in uh, where we were talking about harvest and we were talking about um, all the things that were that were that had happened uh, you know all the as harv- as as farmers brought in their crops and uh, you know every everything else and i think I think it uh, there's a reason why um, Harvest is generally seen uh, with uh, with expectation, right? A lot of hard work has gone into it. You've you've put a lot of farmers have put a lot of hard work into it, and now they're getting, by God's grace, to benefit, to reap the benefit of of, uh, of all of that hard work. And now our text, their text, is no different uh, when it comes to, and it begins to speak about uh, the uh, the the Lord working and moving and reaping um, the. Uh, his, his benefits, his, his reward um, by, uh, by producing or by, by, um, by working out in two, in two ways, two great harvests. So with that said, um, <clears throat> let's look at our text. Cause there's a couple different things here I, I want us to notice. Um, first is <clears throat> um, the Lord Jesus sitting on the, on the cloud. In verse 14, let's pick this up and let's see what it says here. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like to the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and, and in his hand a sharp sickle. This, this is no, no, uh, no one else than the Lord Jesus. This, this is who is the one who is sitting on this cloud. I will say to you that uh, the Bible has a lot of things to say about clouds. Uh, you may not think that, but it does. Uh, so think, for instance, in Exodus 19.16, uh, the law was first given, uh, in a cloud-covered mountain, I think that's significant for us. In, Le- in Exodus 34, 5, when the law was given a second time, a cloud again appeared. In Exodus 40, 34, uh, upon its completion, a cloud covered the tabernacle. In Numbers 9, 17, when the Israelites were to break camp on the journey to the promised land, it was a cloud of during the day that led the way in a pillar of fire by night. In 1 Kings 8.10, when the temple was dedicated, a cloud filled the Holy of Holies. And again, in Matthew 17.5, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then in Acts 1.9, Jesus was ascended into heaven, and the text notes that he was taken up in the clouds. So the Bible has a lot to say about the significance of, of clouds. And, and here, the, the text is, John is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to again let us know that the Lord Jesus is the one who is exalted and the one who is being identified with the God of the Old Testament, with Yahweh, with the Jehovah, with the God, the, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, and he is the one who is going to read. He is the one who is going to reap. And there are significance throughout the Bible of all types of different harvests. There are harvests of all different types in the Bible. Um, and in, in, the, in the text tonight, we see two great harvests, one of grain and one of grapes. One of grain and one of grapes. Notice that the first harvest is the harvest of the, of the earth, but notice that the second harvest is the harvest of the grapes of the earth. I don't think we should miss this. I don't think we, we can, because after all, Jesus likened what? Uh, on several occasions, he likened uh, the uh, uh, his people to... Uh, to to good grain. As a matter of fact, the, Jesus tells a parable of a, of a man who went out to sow good seed, and he sowed good seed. And in the middle of the night, right, or, or when the, when things began coming up, his servant came to him and he says, uh, "Lord, didn't you didn't you sow good seed?" And, and uh, the Lord said to the servant, he said, yes, uh, an, an evil enemy must have done this, but let them both grow. And, and then at the harvest time, you can take out uh, the, and separate the, the good grain from uh, the chaff, from, the, from that which is not good grain. And so Jesus likens the harvest of the, of the earth to uh, the, fir- the first harvest here, to that of grain in the second that of grapes, and then there's a reason for that, and we'll look here. We'll look here, um, we'll look here at, at what this what this looks like, and then there's a second harvest. The, the two harvests, I think, are also likely parallel images of the judgment from the prophet Joel. You say, "Well, now, wait a minute. What, what do you mean?" Well, um, some some would would suggest to us that Revelation uh, only uses the second image for judgment. That's in Revelation 72. 17 through 20 but I, and but I, I want us to uh, to think and i think that's right uh, because i think the first the first that we see here is the lord jesus who's the one doing it and the second one is the angels that are that are going to do it and and again i think there's reasons for this uh uh, there are there are certainly I think some good reasons. One being the Lord is 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 certainly taking the care and the time to reap his people to bring his people in, whereas uh, he leaves the, the execution of judgment to the angels. Not that he's any less involved, but rather that the angels themselves are are the ones doing this. But it is a godly grain harvest uh, that he is bringing in, and it is a it is a harvest of wrath for the grapes. And 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 again, as I said, it's performed by two different individuals: the first, Jesus; the second, the angels. Uh, and it is it is I think just interesting to note for us as we as we look through this text that there there's a lot to be said for what is going on. Um, <clears throat> so let's just dive right in and let's let's see. Some of, the, some of the different uh, peculiarities of each, each harvest and what's going on with each one of them. In 14, 15 through 16, it says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, why is this the harvest of the righteous? Well, again, I think there's a couple different reasons. One, it's a it's an action taken by the Lord Jesus and not an angel or not a uh, not any type of a, a messenger. Uh, I think there's a couple different things going on. One, it, notice notice that uh, this 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 uh, person uh, is uh, is very clearly the Lord Jesus because it says in verse fourteen. Uh, one sat like to the Son of Man, or, or you know looking exactly like the Son of Man, that is the Lord Jesus, and we know that the Son of Man was uh, the, uh, was one of jesus 's favorite uh, um, uh, titles for himself. Uh, we also know that it 's a way for us to 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 see the connection with with Christ with our race and in his very character. He bears the attributes and the moral glories of the ancient of days, and yet he is he is. Uh, the Son of Man at the same time, fully God and fully man, and it is interesting that um, that John describes him in verse fourteen. Here it says, "And I looked, and behold, right." Uh, in other words, it it, it it took John not not by surprise, but it was just a, a glorious sight for him to see. And notice that there are three things going on here. First, there is his seat; it is a cloud, right. Uh, and it's a cloud of of, uh, of 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 righteousness, a pure righteousness, a divine presence. And second of all, there's something on his head that is a crown, and this is the victor's crown, the crown of victory. The, the 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 appointed by God as high high king, and and has the royal right and dignity of rule. But then there's something else going on with this with uh, with with the Lord Jesus here in verse fourteen. And it simply says this in fifteen to sixteen. And it says, "Excuse me." There was something in his hand. What was in his hand? Well, it is a sickle, um, and it's 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 a unique reality here um, because it, the the process really is um, is really interesting. Uh, it was used. The sickle was used for the separation process. It's sharp. It's meant to be sharp because it's meant to, 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 to go in and the word thrust is used here. He thrust in the sickle uh, relating power and, and, and authority to do this. And He rightly reaps uh, through his own uh, reaping process everything that needs to be reaped correctly and rightly and he does this out of his own power out of his own authority for his own glory and his own honor for his own praise god is at work reaping his people from among the earth he is reaping he is bringing them up out of the earth and he is he is he is bringing them to to safety but then there is the, the the reality here of verses 15 and 16. It says, remember, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the th- cloud, thrust in thy sickle, and reap. For the time has come for you uh, to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle of the earth, and the earth was reaped. Why is it that an angel was telling the Lord Jesus what to do? Well, um, this is in fact uh, he, he is not uh, telling Jesus what to do he is simply declaring that the father's time has come and the father has, de- has sent this angel out and said declare to the son that it's time to reap and so Jesus then reaps he puts forth he sends his sickle into the earth and he thrusts it in right uh, uh, and he he is he is at work in reaping uh, he says that uh, it, the hour has come, your hour has come, literally, your hour, that this hour belongs to Christ. Uh, and, and this really is an ominous announcement for the whole world. Um, ominous for the unbeliever ominous for those who don't know Christ ominous for those who are apart from Christ because they are apart from Christ but it is a glorious announcement to those who are in Christ to those who love Christ to those who serve Christ but this is in fact an ominous announcement to those who are apart from Christ those that who who can those who are can expect to have great uh, great tribulation and troubles upon the earth. And the Lord Jesus accomplishes it to its fullest. Notice that. Notice notice what the text says. And the earth was reaped. The Lord Jesus had no trouble reaping in the earth all of his people. The Lord Jesus had no issues whatsoever in, in, in putting forth his sickle and in reaping the earth. There's, there's no problems here. Jesus is, not only has the right to do so, he has the power to do so. And it's interesting that throughout the text of Scripture, this idea of grain harvest is used in very positive lights. So, for instance, in Matthew chapter nine, in verses nine through uh, thirty-seven to thirty-eight, in Matthew chapter nine, the the apostle writes for us. uh, He says, in verse thirty-seven, then says then says he to his disciples. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And again, Jesus uses something very similar in John chapter 4, verses 34 through 38, where he tells the disciples, You know, lift up your eyes, right? The fields, they're ripe to harvest. This is a, a positive image for the believer. And it's interesting because as you look back earlier in the text, these 144,000 individuals, these representatives, what, what, what are they? They are the first fruits of the Lord's harvest. They are simply meant to be the first fruits of the greater harvest that was coming. And in the second vision, the, the grapes that are gathered, there's a difference here. In verse In, in chapter 14, it just says, and the earth was reaped. But in the second one, a much more ominous reality comes face to face with us. And that is that the second harvest, right, the first harvest has to be good because the second harvest is then taken and they're put into the winepress. And it says the winepress of the wrath of God. And there he, he makes quick work of these grapes. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But it is a, a a truly glorious reality to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who loves His people. He loves his He loves his uh, His people very much, and will not leave us to another. But rather, He will not leave us to be harvested or winnowed or threshed or burned. Um, but He will harvest us Himself, and He will He will work t- uh, diligently for His own glory in this. But then in But then in Revelation fourteen, chapter fourteen, verses seventeen through twenty. There's some, there's some things that that are really that that are really um, striking here because it says it says here in verse seventeen, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe now notice that uh, these angels are clearly involved. Um, they've been mentioned. They're mentioned throughout the Book of Revelation. They're mentioned throughout this chapter. But the fourth and the fifth come out of the temple, uh, and and actually this this has great significance because in chapter sixteen we'll start talking about these vials that will be poured out uh, upon the earth. But but two angels are specifically mentioned here. One has a sickle, right, uh, and the other has has. Pa- power or authority over fire that is the fire of judgment and the, the latter cries to the former reap right and that's what it says again thrust just like the Lord Jesus did himself to his to his people to his grain except now this angel is the one who is who is gathering these bunches of the vine of the earth and throwing them in throwing them in judgment they join now the Satan and or the beast and the false prophet. and uh, they, they now, uh, they, they now uh, join the great dragon in judgment. And, and it says here that the earth is the vine of the earth. What, what, what does God do with, with the vine and its clusters, right? Well, this is nothing more than a, than a reality for unmixed divine judgment upon the earth. There is no mercy that's going to mitigate this. There's no mercy that's going to that's going to be allowed at this point. This is the text records for us. I think the the fruit uh, that is cast in the great winepress of God, right? The great vats uh, the, uh, of God. Um, I, I think have, have great um, significance because you'll you'll find such as in Psalm two or in Isaiah 63, or Joel 3, or Zechariah 14:1 through 4, where the Old Testament here, the, the Old Testament is constantly talking about the fact that while God is merciful, there's, there comes an end to the time of His mercy. There comes an end to the time of His mercy. And it is interesting that all of these events take place outside of the city of Jerusalem in the place called the Valley of Megiddo, right. or Armageddon. I guess as as we would call it, but the Valley of Megiddo. And so it is amazing that so enormous is going to be God's slaughter of the earth that blood runs round about the entire land for 200 miles. 200 miles. This isn't just a a small bit. This is a horse's bridle, right? You know what a bridle is, right? A horse stands uh, pretty significantly off the ground, right? His bridle would be, uh, you know, his bit and his bridle would be in his mouth. You know, you're probably talking at least four feet, at least. So four feet, 200 miles. This is how significant the slaughter of the earth will be when God pours out his wrath. This is... This is, not, um, this is not a description of, of, of an allegory here. Um, if that were true, that would be terrible enough. But the text is very clear that, that this is something that is going to be enormous and is going to be very sweeping and is going to be catastrophic in nature. It is going to be beyond anything we have ever seen or known when God exercises His judgment. Now, it is interesting that um, it is interesting that it says uh, that it is a uh, thousand and six hundred furlongs, right? And and so when, when you put this out, this this comes out to be right about two hundred miles, which is which feels almost the entire land. It is, a, it is a great, great and very horrible time. But God's mercy has come to an end. The mercy of God has come to an end. And it's interesting that as you look at Scripture, there typically are three different vines. As you, as you look at Scripture, there are three different vines that come very evident here. The first is the Israel, the nation of Israel, which is or which uh, which is uh, known as the vine, right? Um, planted in the land to bear fruit for the glory of God, but they failed. Uh, and so Christ uh, in John fifteen says He is the vine; we are the branches. Those who abide in Him will bear much fruit. Right? John fifteen. But then also here, the world system is the vine of the earth, in contrast to the vine of the grain of Christ. That wicked system, Babylon, the great that intoxicates people and controls them, will one day be cut down and fully destroyed. And that's what it says in verses 14 through 18, or I'm sorry, 18 through 20. It says, and another angel came out of the altar and had power over fire and cried out to the loud, uh, with a loud cry to him that had a sharp sickle, saying, thrust in the sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress, even into the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Hmm. This is going to be a slaughter of. Dramatic proportions. Um and it 's interesting because God is actually using something that was a typically a joyous time in in throughout the, 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 the throughout the Middle East um, and even even today a, a time of, of harvest uh, of trampling out the you know in the wine press so they can make their their wine and they can make their, um, <clears throat> their, uh, uh, their the fruit of the vine and things like that and put them in storage vessels, something that was generally a joyous celebratory time God now takes and he represents this as his judgment upon his enemies as a matter of fact we see later in revelation nineteen fifteen where it says that jesus himself it's jesus himself who treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of god almighty and it is interesting again that this this all occurs outside of the city what else occurred outside the city christ's death Christ's death they will be taken outside the city as a sign of separation from the covenant God's covenant people and then graphically described about the bloodshed that will take place and it is meant to add horror to us we are meant to be horrified by this I will simply add this to your to to you if you do not know this right um When it talks about 1,600 furlongs, right, it is likely discover, discussing God's universal scope of his judgment um, and that uh, a, a furlong would have been about an eighth of a mile. So by Roman, Roman standards, it would have been 200 miles. By today's modern standard, it would have been about 80, 184, 185 modern miles. But geographically, it is the approximate length of the nation of Israel. It is the pro- approximate length of the nation of Israel from border to border. In other words, God's judgment will be so significant that it will literally fill the entire geographical nation of Israel with four feet of blood. Amazingly, amazing, a, an amazingly horrific symbol here. And it will be from the blood of the wicked. All right, The blood of the wicked. Now, Revelation speaks about blood throughout the book. It does. It speaks of the blood of Christ. In Revelation 1.5, 5.9, 5, 5, 7.14, 12.11, 16.6, 19.13, it speaks of the blood of the saints. In Revelation 6.10, 14.20, 16.6, 17.6, and 18.24, it even speaks of the blood of the innocent in Revelation 1824, but it also says that the rivers and the seas will also be turned to blood. It talks about in Revelation 6:12, 8.7, seven and eight, 11, 6, 16, three and four. And the Jews of, the Jews of Jesus's day, I'm sorry of John's day would have fully understood that the believers of John's day would have clearly understood that this was John this was the Lord's way. Of, of calling back and calling to remembrance God's fulfillment and his promises that he said he would fulfill concerning the nations who will not bow the knee to Christ. So, for instance, in Joel 3, 12, and 13, he says, Let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all of the surrounding nations. Listen to this. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down. For the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. John is, by the Holy Spirit's movement, is recalling back to Joel chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And he's granted this vision of what exactly is going to happen, this, this pressing out of the winepress. <clears throat> Jesus himself promised this in his own earthly ministry. He promised that there was coming a time in which God's judgment would fall upon the earth, upon the nations, and he would judge them. And this would be a horrific time. (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. For instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks quite extensively about the end times. Uh, Jesus specifically talks about um, the 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 hour and the days and um, and so for instance in Matthew twenty four and twenty five we don't have time to read all of this but but let's listen let's let's listen in to some of what Jesus says and teaches here and in his own time of ministry in chapter twenty four of Matthew it says and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him to sh- for to show him the buildings of the temple and Jesus said to him see. Um, um, See ye not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places or different places. All these are the beginning of the sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be all offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax or grow cold. And so Jesus goes on, and he talks about the coming of the days of, of Noah in verse thirty-seven. It says, "But as the days of Noah were, so shall be the coming of the son of, or so shall the coming of the son of man be." For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall be two be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the meal. One shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed the house to be broken into. So a lot of people interpret Jesus' own words here as, as, uh, as proof of the rapture, but that's not what the text is saying there. The text is actually making the argument for exactly what I'm saying. Judgment of the wicked. Matthew 24 is talking about the judgment of the wicked that will come to Christ. Um, and so the that will overflow for their wickedness is great. And John has grant, granted this vision and he speaks of this vision. And Jesus is very clear here. Jesus is very clear through, to, through the apostle John that, that th- this will be a time of unspeakable horror for those who do not know Christ. John is not mincing words. John is not using allegory here. John is making the case for for us to remember the grace of God, and and I would even argue to to call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. Uh, this is going to be a horrific time, and I don't think I can I can I can say that any other way. It you know it's easy in our time. It, it's almost like. It's almost like saying, using the word, the numbers, billions and trillions. You know, like, there's no way. Like, we don't, well, very seriously, and maybe, maybe, maybe you all have, have fooled me, but, but I, I don't think there's any billionaires or trillion. There are no trillionaires in the world, right? But, uh, but it's hard for us when we start talking about billions of dollars. I mean, there's no way to quantify that, right? Our minds have no way of processing billions of, of dollars, right? Uh, and I think the same is true for this text, I think it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around just the absolute horrific nature of those who don't know Christ and what will happen. What will happen to those who don't know Christ? When the judgment comes, and it will come, the wheat will be spared and stored in the barn, but the weeds these grapes will be thrown into the fire and i think it's it's a good it's a good way of, of indicating that the harvest of the grain is associated with that fi- final ingathering that final ingathering of god's people and that's why you you have in other places and we'll talk more when we get there but in 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 uh, revelation 16:6 6, and it says for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for this is their just due so even though this is a horrific time we need not say oh my goodness god is being unjust in this not at all god is not being unjust here they are they are they are reaping what they have sown they are reaping what they have sown injustice wickedness the destruction of god's people in Revelation sixteen nineteen it says, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Or again in Revelation seventeen six, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marvelled with great amazement. In Revelation 18, six, render to her just as she has rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her or in revelation 18:24 and in her was found the blood of the saints and the prophets and of all who were slain on earth or in revelation 19:2 for true righteousness are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot and corrupted the who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her and so this will be a massive, widespread, wide-sweeping judgment upon God by God upon the nations, and will be poured down the throat of Babylon, the world system, so that we can say with Isaiah sixty-three one through three, "Who is this who comes from Edom, with dyed garments from Bosra? This one who is glorious in the apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength." I who speak in righteousness mighty to save, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. Brothers and sisters, there is great wrath waiting for those who do not know Christ. And this should, this should cause us to weep over the souls who do not know Christ. There should be no rejoicing at what is going to come upon them. That We should never rejoice for the wrath of God to be poured out. We should certainly understand it. We should certainly contemplate it. But we as God's people should certainly never rejoice over the downfall of the nations and the wickedness being repaid of, of those who are unrighteous. We should rather pray and work that that we would see sinners converted and pray for God to work in their hardened hearts to save them, to bring them to faith in Christ. We should never be okay just to say, well, God is sovereign. If he wants them to get saved, they'll get saved. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is, is sovereign. Yes, God has elected his people into salvation. Yes, God's people will be saved. But how that happens is through the preaching of the gospel. That's how that happens. That happens through the preaching of the gospel. And so we preach the gospel to sinners. We preach the gospel to those who are apart from Christ, remembering that we were once apart from Christ, pleading with them to come to faith in Christ, but knowing that if they don't, knowing that if they refuse, knowing that if they they have refused the grace of God, then their blood will be on their own heads and in their own hands but let us be faithful to preach the gospel calling upon them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So with that said, let's pray. Father, we have looked at a at a at a had a terrible graphic passage of scripture tonight. A passage of scripture that has that 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 is truly horrific and 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 shuddering in nature. To think that your to think that your In your wrath, God, the the nations would be slaughtered rightly. God, may it cause us to shudder. May it cause us to be faithful to preach Jesus. May it cause us to be thankful for what you have done for us. But remember that it is only by grace that we were ever saved. It's only by grace that we were ever brought to faith in Christ. And this was never part of our doing. This was all your doing. And let us be thankful, but let us also work faithfully. That we may be a part of 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 your of your work, as you told your own disciples, "Lift your eyes up, and behold, right the fields that are widened to harvest." So God, may we lift our eyes, and may we be part of the of the harvest of souls that we may see sinners saved through the faithfulness of preaching the gospel, and may you be glorified, Father in. In, in your work, in the gospel and in the law. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.